You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. I wanted to not take any more time, but we have a very special uh, guest in the house. We have Prophet Cindy Jacobs, who's here today. Cindy, do you want to say hello to the people? Do you want to greet the people at all? Do you want to... For the Lord would say, you have seen expansion, but you haven't seen anything yet. For the Lord says, I am going to begin to release the millionaire anointing on businesses in this church to such a degree, the expansion of the funds is going to be commiserate with the expansion of the, the extensions of mercy culture. And the Lord would say, get ready because I need an army, says the Lord. And the Lord says, I am raising up an army from this church. And the Lord says, look and see what I do with the Fort Worth school district because the Lord says, I'm getting ready for a revolution. I'm getting ready to turn some things around. And the Lord says, get ready because there's even going to be believers are going to start buying some of the print media. And the Lord says, watch and see because the news will be the good news. And I'm getting ready to release that reformation for Fort Worth and the surrounding areas will be reformed. And the Lord Lord says, I will develop a model and mercy culture is the sending place that will help make that happen. Amen. Love you guys. Love you guys. When you got a prophet in the house. So at the beginning of this year, the Lord said, bring in prophets and apostles. That's what he told me to do. So we had Cindy Jacobs come in the beginning of January, uh, and today we have an apostle. And what's, what's amazing about uh, Papa Cheon is he doesn't call himself that. My spiritual father was a guy named John Paul Jackson, and he used to say, uh, if you're a prophet or if you're an apostle, you don't have to tell people you are. They'll tell you that you are. If it's on a business card or on your Facebook profile, probably not accurate. <laughs> and we have a true apostle in the house. Papa Cheon, he'll, he'll tell more about his testimony. Uh, he oversees churches all over the world, thousands of churches all over the world and in America. Uh, what, what he has done in the body of Christ is incredible. Uh, he was behind partnering with Lou Engel in the call movements that I believe were key to overturning Roe v. Wade that we've seen happen right now. For decades, these individuals and these ministries warring in prayer to see, we could, we could give a better hand than that. We could give a better hand than that. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. 
I had the honor of meeting Cheon a few years ago. I was at Gateway doing an internship and they did an apostolic round table and I got to sit in on it. But then I got to formally meet him for the first time last year. It was actually a year from today. I was on the mall in Washington, D.C. with Sean Foyt, our friend, and Pastor Jasmine, and uh, we were holding a, an event there. And uh, one of his spiritual sons is a friend of mine. His name is Jay Koopman. He travels with, with Sean Foyt. And uh, I said, I said, Jay, I said, uh, uh, Jay, would you introduce me to Papa Che? He's like, yeah. So he came over, and the first thing I said to him, I think we have a picture of it, if you could put it up on the screen. I said, would you pray for me? And I didn't know if I'd ever get a chance to talk with them or sit down with them or that he would be preaching at our church is all I knew is what was on him I wanted on me. And now a year later, not only is he praying for me, but he's gonna be praying for every single one of you. Listen, this is so important. I've been doing this since I was a child and this is important to do. The same way that we began to lean into the presence of God and put a demand on the anointing of God, you need to do that right now in this service. Because we have an apostle of God, and here's the wonderful thing, is they, uh, the Bible says the spirit's subject to the prophets, uh, but, but also God pulls on people and things come out of them that, that they didn't even intend to give. But Elijah pulled on Elisha and he was there when the mantle fell. And so if we have an apostle in the house, if we have a prophet in the house, then let's be people that put a demand on the anointing of God that is on their life and let's do it through honor. So we have a value of honor. Would you please put your, stand to your feet, put your hands together and honor the gift of God of Papa Cheon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Two things about that picture was kind of embarrassing. I saw how much hair I'm losing in the back of my head. But secondly, I'm wearing the exact same shirt I wore a year ago. I need to increase my clothing allowance, get some new clothes here, you know? I've been wearing the same thing for the past year, so what an honor to be here. And uh, let me um, just echo uh, the impact that Cindy Jacobs has had on my life personally. I would say three prophets have had the greatest impact. The first is my wife, Sue. We've been married 43 years. We just celebrated our 43rd anniversary. And uh, she scares me. She just reads my mail all the time, so I can't keep anything from her. So she, she's that discerning. Uh, but Cindy would be number two. Number three would be Lou, but Lou was like a John the Baptist, more of a macro prophet for the nation. And he's the one that came up with the revelation concerning the call. And then the Lord told me to serve him. And I can't believe it, 1999. And he's been a prophet in my life for 35 years. But all the words I've received from Cindy, I'm walking out now. Uh, and for those who don't know, I was a vineyard pastor in 1994, I was a vineyard pastor for one year. But revival was breaking down our church. We were having nightly meetings, just like Toronto, and, and uh, it was getting messy, and John was getting a lot of uh, 
a lot of controversy was surrounding Toronto and Brownsville and what was going on in our church. And we weren't as big as what was going on in Toronto, but nevertheless, we had three, 400 people coming out every night from 1995 to 1998 and uh, five nights a week. And so John was very nice to us. He said, listen, we think you should continue these meetings, but not as a vineyard. And so Lou and I met with the leadership. They laid hands on us and they sent us out. And as I'm walking out the door, I said, Lou, I think that was the nicest left foot of fellowship I've ever experienced. And <laughs> maybe in the body of Christ in the history. They just kicked us out, but you know, it was so nice. And, uh, but we continued to uh, meet. Two weeks later, Cindy calls me. I'll never forget this. By the way, we, we were asked to leave on December the 7th, uh, 1995. What happened on December the 7th? Anyone know your history? Yeah, uh, Pearl Harbor was bombed, Day of Infamy. Just like 9-11 is a very historic time. And, uh, and I believe June 24th, 2022 is a historic date that we'll always remember. What happened June 24th? You already forgot? Roe v. Wade was overturned. Come on, let's give God a shout. Come on. So anyway, <laughs> so anyway, Cindy calls me up two weeks after, and uh, I just the word got out that I had left the vineyard, and where I got asked to leave the vineyard, and she called me and said, I just heard you left the vineyard. I explained what happened, and she said, I have a word for you. You're not to join another network. You are called to be an apostle. And God's going to give you your own network. In fact, you will have churches in every continent because I've called you to be like Abraham. You're going to be a father of many. And when she said that, I have to be honest with you, it went way over my head. It just went way over my head. I just said, here's the reason why. And again, I just want to disclose my insecurity. As an Asian American, I always look to white pastors for uh, mentoring. Peter Wagner was my apostle, my spiritual father. Uh, John Wimber was also my, my leader when I was part of the vineyard. I had others. But I never saw myself in that situation. But I, how many you know when it's not about you, you qualify? <laughs> and so, and so um, basically when she said that, it still took me a year to process that word, but thank you for that word, Cindy, because now we're in almost 70 nations. And uh, God has done it. The Lord's doing is marvelous in our sight. We give him all the praise and all the glory. But she also told me to write the book. And uh, my first book, Into the Fire, came out, and I'm so glad you did. She also told me to buy the house. And we already had a house. We were happy with our house, but she told me to buy a house. And we bought a house in the war zone. This is when the Bloods and the Crips were killing each other in northwest Pasadena. And uh, this, uh, this hospital was torn down, and the developer came in and was going to build this beautiful, he built luxury homes, but they weren't selling because it was in the war zone. It was the worst part of Pasadena. And so Cindy uh, gave me this word, so and I prayed about it, said, we're going to step out and buy that house. We bought a house, we're talking about a six-bedroom, five-bathroom house, 3,800 square feet for $400,000 in Los Angeles. Now, you can't even get that in Texas. I mean, you know, it is more expensive now. But back in those days, that was outrageously low price. We just sold it for almost $2 million. Can we thank God for that? Thank you for giving me that word. So I am a multimillionaire on paper. <laughs> and so anyway, so thank you for that word. I mean, she gave me so many practical words. And again, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the word that Cindy gave. And so thank you so much. 
But he also gave me a word that I was going to start, I was going to be the successor to Wagner uh, Leadership Institute. And uh, just a little bit of background, Peter Wagner had started a seminary in 1998 based on a word from Cindy. And he was a professor at Fuller Seminary for 30 years. And then he received a word and he started his own seminary. And it was a brilliant idea because he wanted to honor pastors who didn't have a college degree, who couldn't qualify to go to a traditional seminary, but they've been serving the Lord for years in ministry. And they had grown. And so she, he wanted to just get them in a master's program without having a college degree. So he started his own seminary. But... Um, but in 2010, when he was ready to turn 80, the Lord spoke to him to give me the seminary. But before that happened, we were at a board meeting. Cindy's on the board of our ministry, Harvest International Ministry. At the board meeting, she prophesied and said, the Lord's going to give you Wagner Leadership Institute, Wagner University. And she said it right in front of Peter. <laughs> now, Peter and I had already talked, but he told me, don't tell anyone that I'm going to give you the school because there was another woman, one of his spiritual daughters that was expecting the school to be given to her and he didn't want to hurt her so he didn't want that to leak out. And he looked at me like, did you tell Cindy? I said, Peter, I haven't told anyone. I've kept my word. You know Cindy. She's a prophet. That's how she heard from the Lord that I was going to take the seminary. And so we received the seminary in 2010 and now it's gone all over the world where just produced Wagner Leadership and the French language is our seventh language. We have it in English, of course, Spanish, Portuguese, Mandarin, Korean, Japanese. We just completed French. And so I want to just uh, thank Cindy for prophesying that. By the way, my newest book, um, Turning Our Nation Back to God Through Historic Revival, I'm not selling this book. I have the book out there and it's on a donation basis because all the proceeds is going to Wagner University Scholarship Fund. And so we're supporting pastors who can't afford the kind of tuition that the Western uh, society can afford, and so we're helping them out. So by buying this, you're going to get a great book, but also support Wagner University. So let me encourage you. If you're interested in Wagner University, we have a master's in business administration, also in education, as well as in theology. Uh, you can check out Wagner.University. Let me introduce you to the vice chancellor and his beautiful wife, Kitty. Benny, why don't you stand up? He's here with me. And, and so... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, I feel the anointing. All right. I don't know what was going on, but anyway, the sound. But um, did you guys miss all that, or were you able to... Okay, all right. But anyway, I, all that to say is that um, Benny has done a terrific job. He took Wagner when it was struggling, to be honest with you, uh, and it's just uh, become a world-class seminary, in my opinion, the best seminary. And I spent eight years at Fuller Seminary, so I'm not... Um, Again, I don't want to cast dispersion on that school because it's a fine school, but Wagner is so much better uh, because 80% of what I learned, 80% of what I learned at Fuller, I'm not using. But I promise you what you learn at Wagner, uh, it'll be a tremendous uh, encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so anyway, uh, it's something that Peter Wagner started and we're trying to carry on his legacy. Now, concerning my book, I, I want to just say that I wrote this uh, in a time of when we were locked down with COVID-19. Uh, 
And I began to realize, and I, how many of you were for the first service? Any of you for the first service? Okay, there are a number of you. How many of this your first time hearing me speak? Let me just see. You, okay, the vast, like 90% of you, which is great because I could tell my old jokes and be brand new for you guys. So that's, <laughs> that's wonderful. But, uh, but in the first service, I shared, and the title was Great Shaking but Greater Glory. And it was from Haggai chapter two, verse seven. I'm gonna shake all the nations. They will come with the wealth of the nations. And then I'm gonna fill this house with glory. And when Cindy gave that prophetic word about there's gonna be millionaires birth, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I was receiving it for myself because it takes money to transform society. And so, you know, let's not get super spiritual. I'm not talking about the hyper prosperity stream. I'm talking about he wants to prosper you for the purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission. And, and so that's my understanding of prosperity. And so he promises in the last days he's going to not only pour out his spirit, but there's going to be a transfer of wealth. And Haggai 2.7 is one good verse. And of course, we know that Cyrus out of his royal treasury gave the money to build the, the temple or, or the beginning of it until it was stopped because he had passed away, but he helped lay the foundations from his finances. So the wealth of the righteous being transferred. There's another great verse, I love this, in Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, in other words, for his grandchildren, and the wealth of the sinners is stored up for the righteous. And so we see another verse that says that God's gonna bring the wealth of the unrighteous to the righteous so that we could use it to finish the Great Commission and the Great, some of you have faith for that, so I'm glad you're receiving, receiving this word. And so it doesn't make sense. We're in a recession. We're in a hyperinflation, a stagflation. We're seeing the gas prices all time high. By the way, in California, it's still $7 a gallon for premium. It's so outrageous. If you just drive up to Bakersfield on Interstate 5, all these oil wells that were pumping under Trump's administration is just dead. Nothing is moving. And uh, we were energy independent, and now we're just buying oil from Saudi Arabia. How many know it's either the spirit of stupidity or it's demonic that's taken over this nation, and it's just like, what is going on here? We're suffering unnecessarily because all the truck drivers that bring our food uh, is through petroleum, diesel fuel. And if they don't have that, then, you know, the price is going to go up. They're going to pass on the price to us. And so we're having this inflation. Right now, we're at a 40-year high of inflation, highest in 40 years. You already lost a month of your salary, but God, but God, because he's going to meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory and in Christ Jesus. So in the midst of this shaking, he says, I give you the power to create wealth. Deuteronomy 8.18. He says, I'm going to give you the power to create wealth. Now, that word power in the Hebrew is a very unique word. It's the same root word for the lizard, the chameleon. So what does the chameleon do? It changes color based on the environment. So what God is saying, I give you the power to create wealth. doesn't matter if you're in a recessionary period or if you're in hyperinflation. I am going to give you the anointing to prosper because my purposes are going to be fulfilled. And God in his sovereignty has chosen you. I mean... Can you imagine if it was just, if we were just forgiven, if Jesus just died for us and forgave our sins, we go to heaven, we'll be eternally grateful. But he doesn't stop there. 
He said, not only that, you were once a slave to sin, but now I'm calling you a son. I'm adopting you as my son. And you have to understand, in the Asian culture, the firstborn receives the inheritance. So it goes on to say in Galatians 4, I believe it's 7, not only a son, but an heir. And what has he given us? Remember when Herodias stands before uh, King Herod? King Herod Antipas, the under King Herod the Great, his, his son. And she so pleased him, in front of all his guests, he said, ask me anything you want up to half my kingdom. So she goes to her mom and said, what should I ask? And she said, I want John the Baptist's head on the platter. So she goes to King Herod and said, I want John the Baptist's head on the platter. And because of his guests, the Bible says he had to deliver. And he was being extremely generous. But here's what Jesus says. Luke 12, 32, fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the whole kingdom. Not half the kingdom, I'm giving you the whole kingdom. You're my children, and this is your inheritance. I'm giving you the whole enchilada. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, it's not a physical kingdom, you know, like this pulpit here. It's Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, I have to be honest with you, I see some of the faces in the light and it looks like you could use more joy. <laughs> you look like you're wearing tight underwear here, you know, and you're not, you don't look too comfortable here. But the joy of the Lord is our strength and comes from the Holy Spirit. And God is saying, I'm giving you everything. Why? I'm calling you to partner with me. Not only that, you're seated with me in the heavenly places. <laughs> I mean, he's put everything under our feet. The, the right hand is a position of authority. So when Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of nations, he's given you authority. And we read about that in Matthew 16, 18 and 19. He said, on this rock, I'll build my ecclesia. How many of you know this building is beautiful, but this is not the ecclesia? How many you know you're the ecclesia? You're the called out ones, called to legislate. I will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell, no matter how evil it gets out there in society, will now prevail against the ecclesia. And I have given you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so he's given you the keys to bind and loose. And actually, the way it reads in the Greek is whatever you bind must first have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose have to be first loose in heaven. In other words, heaven initiates. That's why the prophetic is so important. Because we have to hear. Prayer is hearing from God. And then when we pray it, we're decreeing what he wants us to decree or pray. And that's why Cindy is so powerfully used. Because she hears from God and she speaks it. I've been with her for, uh, since, the, since the 80s, around 87 when I first met her. So for many, many years. It's amazing. But here's the good news. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, they follow me. All of you, as God's sheep, the first manifestation of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days, and how many know we've been in the last days? We've been in the last days for the last 2,000 years, by the way. In the last days, I'm going to pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy the first manifestation 
of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is to hear from God and to prophesy. This is why it is so important to hear from God. Because what the devil did and, uh, uh, when he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden was to attack the prophetic. Did God say, questioning what God would say and what he had personally said to them, you will not die. If you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. He said, did God really say that? Of course he said it. And he's questioning the prophetic. And that's why I love, I, I, I think it's uh, this verse, I think it's uh, Isaiah uh, 30, verse 21. I'm gonna whisper behind you. This is the way walking in it, whether to the right or to the left. Why whisper? Because he wants you to draw closer to him. Draw near to him, he's gonna draw near to you. He says, listen, it's all about a love relationship with you and me. And as you draw near to me, I'm gonna to speak to you. And as I speak to you and you hear my voice, it's gonna absolutely shift things. It is gonna bring my rule and reign wherever you go. We are here to expand. We are here to advance the kingdom of God. And it's gonna happen apostolically, it's gonna happen prophetically. Now, this is not what my message, I don't, I had this something different on my notes, but I just feel I need to just stay on this for a little bit because I feel, I feel so important for us to um, just camp here for a second. And, you know, I, I'm just so grateful just to be here. I, I, I shared uh, this morning that if it wasn't for the U.S. soldiers that intervened in the Korean War in 1950, I wouldn't be here because my father was a pastor, 24-year-old pastor, single pastor, arrested by Kim Il-sung for just being a pastor because he was ready to invade South Korea. He didn't want any pastors to dissent. And again, the cancel culture is part of the playbook of Marxism from the very beginning. And so they locked up all the pastors, but thank God for Truman who, you know, just after World War II, I mean, he was the accidental president. He didn't even want to be president, but he was selected to be the vice president under uh, Roosevelt, uh, his third term. And uh, because they just wanted someone that was not controversial. And so out of Kansas, he's selected as the vice president. Roosevelt didn't give him time. He never met with him. You're supposed to meet with the vice president every week. He didn't even meet with him. He was just a puppet person. But then Roosevelt dies right before the war ends. And all of a sudden, God raises up Truman, who was that Baptist believer, born-again believer. Can we thank God for that? God has his way of raising up leaders. He was the first president to recognize Israel as a nation in 1948 because of his biblical uh, worldview. And, um, and I thank God for that. But he also, he also um, had what's called the Truman Doctrine, which is everyone after the war was over wanted to keep Japan poor, devastated. They wanted to keep Germany poor. He says, no, unless we help them and help rebuild them, then they're gonna turn around, they become communists, they'll be our enemy, but we need to come to the opposite spirit and help restore those nations. So he released billions of dollars. He came to the opposite spirit to restore Japan, which is now the fifth richest nation in the world, and Germany. And so he applied Christian values and principles to uh, restoring after the devastation of World War II. But when North Korea invaded South, after he had agreed with Stalin, even though he didn't want to, 
he had to give capitulate to Stalin because Stalin wanted everything. He wanted all of Korea to be communist. And he says, no. He said, I need a buffer between our nation and Japan. And he says, no, but we'll split it, just like they did with Germany. And so North Korea was communist. South Korea was a democratic republic, uh, just like the United States, built right after, like the United States, with three divisions of power. The whole, it was just a, a small example of, of the democracy in our nation. But when Kim Il-sung invaded, Truman immediately sent Douglas MacArthur, who was stationed in Tokyo helping rebuild Japan, to intervene. And he pushed the North Korean forces with the U.S. forces. And by the way, can we thank the 50,000 American soldiers that died in the Korean War? I mean, I, I mean, thank you. If you are in the military or if you're a first responder, firefighter, police officer, would you just stand? We need to honor you on 9-11. Come on, all of you, come on. Thank you. I thank you from the bottom of my, my heart because I wouldn't even be here. Because what happened is that my dad was able to escape with millions of North Koreans during this six-month window of opportunity. They left North Korea. He got involved in a Presbyterian church called Young Nock Presbyterian Church, met my mom, and they got married. He was 28, she was 19. And a few years later, they had me. So thank God for the U.S. soldiers because I wouldn't even be here. But it's my Christian legacy. And as uh, Pastor Landon was just saying, just what are you grateful for? What are some of the things? That, and I just started to tear up because I said, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you gave me Christian parents and then you allow them to come to this country. My dad was the first Korean Southern Baptist pastor in North America. That was his ticket. That was the reason for giving him a visa. You couldn't come in back in those days, but he got a visa. And, um, and uh, we had problems with um, our visa. And three years later, my mom, my sister and I joined my dad, but, but nevertheless, we came. And then I became a citizen when my parents became a citizen when I was 13 years old. And so, by the way, this is the best nation in the world. Can we thank God for the United States of America by far? But I, all that to say is, is that during this shaking, we were locked down and we wanted to initially just cooperate. President Trump even said, let's mitigate for two weeks. And uh, we, we didn't know what this COVID-19 was all about. My brother's a surgeon. He's a member of our church. And... He just, uh, they told him he can't do any surgeries. You know, he's a cancer surgeon, but they said, we just don't want to inundate the hospital because our governor, Newsom, was saying that out of 40 million that live in Cal California, the largest state, 22, would, 22 million would get COVID and 2 million would die. I mean, outrageous numbers. But it scared the daylights out of all of us because he said, I'm going based on science. By the way, it was fake news. It wasn't based on science. Was it? He just pulled the numbers out of the air. I mean, when you think about it, we're talking about globally 5 million have died, over 5 million, but not 2 million in California. So his numbers were way exaggerated just to control, and he locked us down. He said, but abortion clinics are essential. Marijuana dispensaries are essential. Liquor stores are essential. Yeah, Walmart is essential. But then he named a strip club in San Diego to be essential, but not the church. We wrote a letter to him with 150 pastors signing the letter. We said, with all due respect, the church has been essential for 2,000 years. Let us open up. Let us open up. He hates the church. 
We're the ones who criticized him when he had a prophetic wedding of all these gay people when he was mayor of San Francisco. The voices that criticized him were evangelical believers. So he hates the church. We already have a track record of this adversarial, this adversity with him. And so, so he just said, no, you're not gonna open up. And so I called Matt Staver, my attorney, who helped us with the call. And uh, by the way, Lou Engels, the founder of The Call, but he asked me to be the president. And so I was the president of The Call from 2000, 2003. And my last call was right here in Dallas at the Cotton Bowl, uh, November 29th, 2003, which was absolutely freezing. We thought it was gonna be the largest call. We had the smallest call, but still 35,000. And those numbers are not exaggerated. When you do a stadium event, it's all computerized. When you walk through the turnstile, it counts. And so they give out a, the number after the event. And we had 35,000 even in the 40 degree weather. How many of you were at the call of Dallas? Any of you? Okay, Will Ford, of course, he's there. He has Luke's spiritual son, and, and so Cindy and Mike were there. But anyway, uh, it was the worst call in the many ways because we had no money. And we were on fumes, and we had to receive three offerings, and I think Cindy took up the offerings, and Robert Morris took up an offering, and so thank God for Robert Morris, because he really helped us out tremendously with uh, financially helping us out, and Gateway was just getting started then, so... But anyway, um, so um, let me get back to what happened is, is that I called Matt Staver, and I said, Matt, we're gonna open up, and, um, but I know in California, and we're pretty well known in Pasadena, that the moment the word gets out that we're violating the California CDC's uh, lockdown, I'm, I'm gonna be in legal trouble. So would you cover me? And he said, not only will I cover you, but I'm gonna cover you pro bono. You don't have to pay me a thing, I'll cover you. But can I ask you to pray about something? Uh, can you pray about suing Governor Newsom? I said, really? I said, yeah, because if you sue him, he can't put you in jail until the litigation is over. So you'll be protected. And, and basically, I said, I don't have to pray about that. That's a no-brainer, I'm gonna sue him. <laughs> now, I did pray afterwards, and I did meet with the board members. I called them up and said, we're gonna sue Governor Newsom, sending us on the board, and uh, we sent them an email and just say we were having an emergency board meeting because we couldn't gather and meet. And, um, and then I called our pastors together, and we sued Governor Newsom, and that's when the spaghetti hit the fan because <laughs> the media heard about it, and they came... NBC, CBS, CNN, Fox, they all came to our service the next Sunday after the word leaked. And they wanted to meet the pastor who was killing their church and being a super spreader. In fact, NBC Today show wanted to interview me, the Los Angeles Virgin. And they started the interview by saying, you say you're a pastor, you love your people, but how could you be saying you love your people when you're killing them? Aren't you being selfish? That's the way the interview started. There's already a bias against anyone that's conservative. And it's just, again, fake news. We have come to Isaiah 5:20. Woe to those who call evil good, good evil, darkness light, light darkness. And so opening up the church is killing people and it's evil. And I said, I, I, with all due respect, I do love my people. And because I love them, I'm opening up. Because it's not just about their physical well-being, it's their mental well-being. The depression is off the charts, being locked down. 
people can't even, just, they're just depressed, they're just locked inside the house, they're just watching Netflix 24 seven. And I said, I'm concerned about their spiritual well-being. They need to be spiritually fed. I'm concerned about their emotional well-being. Well, they cut all that out when they showed it. And of course, I share the gospel. You've got to know me. I share the gospel. They cut all that out. They just had me as a selfish pastor who's killing his church, who's a super spreader now. By the way, to this day, we still have not had one COVID break out in our church. <laughs> And we've been meeting since 2020. I'm not saying people haven't gotten COVID, but they got it at work or somewhere else, but not, you can't trace it to our service. And believe me, if it did happen, the news would be all over like white on rice. They would be all over it. But by God's grace, he protected us. And long story short, it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And by the way, you don't pick the Supreme Court. They have to select your case. And one of the things that Matt and I were talking about, the reason why they picked us is that it wasn't just me suing Governor Newsom. I lead a network of churches. We have around 150 churches and ministries in California alone. I recruited all of them to be part of the plaintiff. I said, you're gonna be part of this lawsuit whether you like it or not, and they all agreed because they gave me their name, the email address, their cell number. I had to give all of that to, to be the plaintiff. And I believe that got the Supreme Court's attention. It wasn't just one church that said, look at this, a whole network of churches. We gotta weigh in. We gotta speak about this because it's impacting the churches. How many know we need to come together and network together and come together in unity? And that's what I wanna talk about. I wanna talk about apostolic alignment and networking because in one of my chapters in my book, I shared that revival and reformation is spread through apostolic network. Let me give you a classic example. In the Great Awakening, 1738, first of all, it was started by Whitfield, George Whitfield, and John Wesley, and they were used powerfully, and I shared in the first service how George Whitfield went seven, I mean, he came to our nation 11 times by ship, but he made seven trips, round trips, from Georgia to Maine on horseback, Round trip, going there and coming back, but he took different routes so he could reach every city. According to Dave Barton, 80% of Americans heard the gospel through George Woodfield, just this, the Billy Graham of his time. And according to Dave Barton, he set the foundation for the Revolutionary War because Whitfield was against King George. He agreed with the, the founding fathers, no taxation without representation. He was against the stamp tax. And the Stamp Act, of course, was when they said, we're not gonna pay taxes because we have no representation. They're arbitrarily just dictating what we have to pay taxes on. I mean, our founding father said that. And uh, without us having a voice. And so he was supportive of that. It's amazing how George Whitfield was part of the, the beginning of the independence of our nation. And of course, he died in 1760, and 1776, uh, July 4th, was our day that we, not 17, not 1619, by the way. You know, uh, this is so ridiculous. Again, rewriting history, but 1776. And so out of that, the, in the British part, you have John Wesley, who was really the reformer of the Great Awakening. And he was an abolitionist. He hated slavery, he hated the slave trade, which was the number one source of income for Great Britain. 
during that time because Great Britain had bought out the Portuguese, they had bought out the Spaniards, they had a monopoly on the slave trade. So here's how it worked. They sent British ships to West Africa, picked up slaves, human trafficking. They didn't buy them, they just took them. Brought them to the United States, sold the slaves, then bought tobacco and brought it to England. And so much money was transacted during that time, it created cities and towns overnight. It was the number one source of income for Great Britain. Like today would be petroleum for Russia. They have one major source of income, and by the way, Russia is prospering because of some of the dumb policies we have of, again, locking down our, our independence, the Keystone Pipeline, et cetera, all the regulations we've instilled and imposed here in Texas and in Houston. I mean, it's so egregious, it's unbelievable. Again, it's the spirit of stupid on our nation and this present administration. But there's an agenda, as you know. There is a demonic agenda behind all this. I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail, but, but anyway. So, so no one, even if you were a believer, they didn't want to stop the slave trade because they would get voted out. It's about money. It's so corrupt. I mean, the love of money is the root of all evil. And, and so what happened was is that uh, uh, Wilberforce, when he really had an encounter with the Lord as a member of parliament, and he was influenced by John Newton, who was influenced by John Wesley and the abolition movement. He knew his calling was to end the slave trade and to pass the Slave Act bill, which he submitted in 1780. Every year he kept on submitting it and got defeated. Because even believers who were members of parliament didn't want to give up the money. And so they realized they had to get people into office who were also conservative, but they were abolitionists. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And it took like 20 years to have that transition take place. And then by 1807, they passed a the bill, it got passed, slave trade was abolished. But it wasn't until 1833 that the emancipation went out for all the nations impacted by the British uh, colonial rule. Uh, they had to let all the slaves go, no matter where you were around the world. Now here's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, thank God for that, okay? Without having to go to the Civil War. We've been contending 49 years with Roe v. Wade, praying, fasting, and it's true. The call, the whole purpose of the call, if you know Lou Engel, the peak of the call was to repent for, this, uh, for the hands that have shed innocent blood, to do some identification repentance for the sins of abortion. And then at the peak of the call, we asked young people, to make a pledge to vote life in perpetuity. From that point on, they would not vote for anyone unless it was a pro-life candidate. That's where it began in 2000. Now, when we started the call, only 43% of Americans were pro-life. Something shifted because now it's like 54% that's pro-life. I believe the prayers and fasting, the 40 days of prayer and fasting with Lou Engel and all the stadium events, which was targeting the whole issue of life, gathering together to, with the issue of life, because we knew this was the number one injustice of our time period. We knew that this was the issue that's holding back the massive revival and harvest and blessing that God wants to bring to our nation. I mean, you know, if you just do the study of the theology of hands that shed innocent blood and the curse that comes to a nation, even Abraham Lincoln knew that 
In his second inaugural address, he said, fondly, we hope, fervently, we pray this mighty scourge of war will come to a speedy end. But if every blood shed from a whip of a lash has to be paid for that drawn from a sword, let it be true and let it be said as it was said uh, 2,000 years ago, the judgments of God are true forever. And what Abraham Lincoln was said is that we're having this civil war because of the injustice of slavery and we're paying the price for it. And so what do you do with 63 million babies that have been slaughtered in the womb since 1973? And actually more, because 72, there are as many abortions since uh, Roe v. Wade became legal in 73. And so we repented on behalf of that and asked God for a blessing. And so now we have seen the overturn of Roe v. Wade, which we should celebrate, we should thank God, just like Wilberforce did in 18, 1807 when the Slave Trade Act was over. But that didn't end the sin of, of, um, of slavery. Slavery was still going on. And abortion is still going on. And in our state of California, we're the number one abortion state. And we just are ready to pass a bill called Proposition 1 in California. This is why we need you to pray for us. We need you to support us in California. Because as California goes, so goes the rest of the country. We're trying to pass a proposition that will codify abortion up till the last day of the ninth month, but also in that law is that if you decide to have an abortion after a week later or two weeks after the baby's born, you could still, you would not be penalized. You would not be criminalized. This is called Proposition 1 that's going up for vote this coming midterm. And it's putting into our constitution, so no matter what happens with the state assembly, state senate, if we get more conservative pro-life, you can't change it unless there's another, another measure like Proposition 1 where the people vote. So this is really, really serious time that we're in. They want to make California abortion sanctuary state. What does that mean? Is that if you want to have an abortion but you can't get it in Fort Worth, Texas, come to California. We'll fly you out. We'll put you up. We'll pay for your lodging. We'll make a little vacation out of it. You could have a tour of some of the places you want to see, the Tournament Rose Building in Pasadena or other places, Hollywood, walk the Street of the Stars. We'll make a tour out of it. And then we'll pay for your abortion at California tax dollars. My taxes are going to pay for that. Now, frankly, I think the devil's overplayed his hand. And I, I believe even Democrats are saying they may be pro-abortion, but they say, I don't want my tax dollars to pay for someone from Fort Worth to have an abortion in my state, so I don't think it's going to pass. But, but you don't know because the elections are so rigged. And so that's why I'm asking you to pray for us. And, and so what I have done is I started a 51C4 organization just like you guys have done. It's called Revive California. You can check that out on the website. And what it is, is that 51C4 is different from 51C3. 51C3, this is a Mercy Church, Culture Church is a 51C3. If you give finances, you get a tax write-off. When you give to a 51C4, you don't get a tax write-off. You give with the purpose of it just advancing God's kingdom. Because what we are doing, 40% of the 501c4 money can go to candidates who are running for office, 40%. You can't have majority. And so now we're supporting conservative believers who are running for office because we're trying to get pro-life people elected, state assembly, state uh, senate, 
and we're winning. We're starting to win. We, we are seeing people rise up like never before. And I'm honest, in 49 years of being a believer, I've never seen so many people running for office that are even from our church. We had one of our church members win the city council at uh, La Crescenta. We have one of our HIM leaders became mayor of Walnut. And now he is running for U.S. Congress in District 31. And he won the Republican nomination. And now he's up against a Democrat in the midterms. But here's the point. You know what he's campaigning on? He's campaigning on the inflation, the tax, taxation in California, the high gas prices, and all of a sudden his poll numbers are shifting. You know, we have to be wise as servants, innocent as doves, you know, Matthew 10, 16. Because if he just said, I'm a pro-life, uh, I don't think that's going to carry it. But he's just being wise. He's too, it's the economy, stupid. He's doing that. And, and now he's rising at the polls. And I think he's going to win. And so we got to get these people elected. And so the other thing the Lord spoke to me, and this, um, I had the privilege of meeting with a multimillionaire. We're having lunch together. And he was very generous. He gave money to uh, uh, our ministry. And so I wanted to thank him. And, and so I said to him, I said, you know, his name is Jeremy. I said, Jeremy, you've been very, very successful. But how would you like to move from success to significance? He said, what are you talking about? What do you mean? He said, you've made a lot of money, but how about using that money to really bring transformation to America? So uh, how? I said, what if you were a Christian Soros and you started a super PAC and we raised a billion plus dollars and uh, we were using that money to advance the kingdom by electing conservative believers with a biblical worldview. And he said this, the Lord just spoke to me, I'm to do it. He didn't say I have to pray about it. Over the table, he just said, God just spoke to me, I'm to do it. So we have now started a super PAC. It just got IRS government approval three weeks ago. And we're ready to rock and roll. I'm telling you, we're going to advance the kingdom of God. So I'm so excited about what, what's going on. So in the midst of all the shaking, all the darkness, we're seeing the light of transformation taking place, the light of reformation, Roe being overturned. But it's not just Roe, it's Coach Joe Kennedy kneeling on the 50-yard line, going all the way to the Supreme Court, and they say it was unconstitutional to, to fire him for just praying at school which opens the door for us to bring back prayer to the schools, public schools in America. Not only that, in Maine, we want another Supreme Court decision. Maine said, because it's so rural, most parts of Maine, is that they don't have enough schools. So they said, if you uh, want to go to school online, we'll pay for your education, but it can't be a Christian school. It has to be a private online school, but it can't be Christian. So they sued the state of Maine. It went all the way to the Supreme Court. This has just happened. And they said it's discrimination. And so now they have to give money to Christian schools uh, to educate. So then one thing after another, we're living in the most exciting time. And I, that's why I want to submit to you is that I believe we're on the verge of the greatest revival. So what does revival look like? What's the characteristic of a historic revival? So I spend a whole section of my book on it, three chapters. First, the first characteristic is that the church gets revived. It always begins with the church. The second Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. 
Then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. But let me just emphasize two things. It says, if my people, not the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, is God's people, humble themselves. And then turn from her evil ways or wicked ways or sinful ways. Yes, there's sin in the church. I've been a pastor now for 43 years. It breaks my heart when I have major leaders where it's exposed, they've just fallen into morality, but they were living a lie. Now, having said that, for everyone that has fallen, thank God for a hundred pastors who are finishing well and they've been loyal and faithful, but nevertheless, there's been so much compromise in the church. You have to understand, I was one of the one voice in our city of Los Angeles. We have 15 million evangelicals in California. Only second to Texas. Texas has the largest evangelical population, then California's number two. But look how conservative you are compared to California. California, if I can be honest, is a neo-Marxist state. It's a communist state. We only have one party. 75% of Californians are registered Democrats. Okay, it's, again, it's not about Democrats and Republicans, but as the Democrats have gone so extreme left, even Democrats are saying, I don't want to identify with this because they're tired of the high, uh, they're tired of the critical race theory, they're tired of transgenderism being shoved down. Three board members in San Francisco got recalled by 70% votes, each one, and there are Democrats who recall these board members. So I feel like the devil's overplayed his hand, so we're gonna be something uh, turned around even in California, but, but the characteristic is that the church in California has been asleep. Or we have a bad theology, eschatology, that, you know, because of, and I, I don't want to cast aspersions because these are my heroes, the Chuck Smith, the John Wimbers, but they believed in a pre-trib rapture. In other words, things are going to get worse and worse, and then Jesus will rapture us out before the tribulation. By the way, there's no biblical basis for that. We will go through much tribulation. Paul says that in Acts 14. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Now, I do believe in a rapture, but I believe at the second coming of Jesus, we're caught up and then he creates a new heaven, new earth. But I don't believe that we miss out on tribulation. Just tell that to the Chinese who've been suffering underground for the last 40 some years, since 1948. They've been persecuted. I mean, we washed the feet. Cindy, Mike, and Benny and Kitty, we, with Peter Wagner, washed the feet of these uh, apostles who were in prison for their faith. The suffering that they suffered, unbelievable. And, and so we've had persecution. We have hardship. Thank God, you know, that we have not had the kind of persecution like the Coptic believers had in Egypt under the Muslim Brotherhood when they were beheaded in front of, you know, on YouTube, and they were just cut to death right there. But you know, we're getting persecuted. When uh, you get a letter from the city prosecutor saying that we're gonna fine you millions of dollars, how many know that's persecution? Because that would have bankrupt our church. They just wanted to close down the church. They were trying to close down the church one way or the other. And if I could just say something about the mask mandate, you know, it's really interesting that it's almost like a metaphor, like the devil wants to keep our mouths shut. Because how can they believe without hearing? How can they hear without a preacher? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? And how beautiful are you when you don't wear a mask? Because you're made in the image and likeness of God. Seriously. 
I mean, the Muslims have to cover, the women have to cover their face, but we don't have to. Thank God was a Trump appointee federal judge on Monday after Easter who said it was unconstitutional for the CDC to mandate wearing a mask in public transportation. How many of you remember that in April? Man, I travel a lot. I said, thank you, Jesus, that this is a sign that revival's here and that we're seeing transformation. Seriously. I was thanking God for that. But it begins with the church, and if the church, and now here's the good news, the church is waking up. We're seeing that in California. We're having more believers who are saying, yes, we've got to register and vote. I mean, even if you have a pre-trib uh, eschatology, what do you do with the Great Commission? You still have to disciple nations, not make win souls and disciple a nation, means literally disciple nation. You've got to be salt and light to the nations. You have to occupy until he comes. And so thank God for some of the Calvary Chapel, like Jack Hibbs, you know, pastors, and people like uh, uh, Rob McCoy. And uh, they're wonderful friends of mine. And so, they're, so I'm not saying it's the whole church, but it's amazing how many churches are under that spirit of deception. And we're gonna have that in the last days. It says that the whole form of godliness, but not the power. There's no power in these churches. And so we need revival for these churches. So it begins with revival for the church. Number two, the harvest comes in. Every major revival, the harvest comes in. During the Jesus People Movement of 1967 with Chuck Smith and Lonnie Frisbee, Costa Mesa, we had 20 million get saved from 1967 to 1977 globally, 20 million. And a lot of you boomers got saved during that. How many of you got saved during the Jesus People Movement? Because I know this is a young church, so maybe just a handful of hands, but I did. I, 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 was, a, I was a Korean hippie. I had hair down to my, past my shoulder. I'm not sure I may have been the first Korean hippie in North America, but anyway, I was a Korean hippie rebelling against my parents during that time. And, and we got just caught up and we got radically saved. I was delivered from drug addiction in one day. I mean, I, I, no, no hyperbole, I'm not exaggerating, one day. I mean, I like the 12-step program, but I like the one-step program better. I mean, come boom, you're just delivered. And we're seeing the harvest coming in through Let Us Worship. Jay Koopman, who's the spiritual son, he's on our staff uh, at Harvest Rock Church, and we said, kind of him over to Let Us Worship, and he's been running with Sean Ford. He's saying, we are seeing so many young people get saved. And he says, Papa Che, no exaggeration. We've been to several hundred cities now and around 100,000 young people have given their hearts to the Lord. And that is the harvest coming in. It's just the beginning, but it's coming in. Mario Morella was telling me, because he was going to come to Pasadena, he was telling me when he went to Sacramento, he said, when we have a, a, a crusade, he has these 10 meetings, uh, if we have... 150 pastors show up for the luncheon. They have a luncheon to mobilize the pastors to get their people to come out and bring on believers. He says it's off the charts. In Sacramento, we had to cut it off at 900. We've never experienced anything like this. All these pastors were showing up saying we want to be part of this evangelistic outreach. And on the day of the crusade, there was a traffic jam for three hours. People couldn't get in. There's so many people. Won. And again, it's a sign that the harvest is here. It's coming, but it's here as well. So the harvest comes in. The Welsh revival, first six months, 100,000 got saved in Wales. 
So the second characteristic of a historic revival is that the harvest comes in, but here's the third characteristic. Third characteristic is that society is transformed. And we saw that with a great awakening, as I shared about uh, William Wilberforce. What I didn't go into is that he had an apostolic network called the Clapman Group. 300 that met in the town of Clapman, which if you go to London, it's just a few subway stops from downtown. But back in those days, it was the suburb. And it was 300 members. Many of them were members of parliament. Others were pastors. And others were multi, multi-millionaire uh, wealthy people who finance. There are people who are writers like Hannah Moore. She, was, she wrote and brought reformation. There were men and women that gathered together. And they gathered together on a regular basis as often as they can just to strategize how to end the slave trade, but also to reform manners. Now, when we talk about manners, we're not talking about table manners. What they're talking about is reforming morality because there was so much immorality going on. Parliament wanted to change the age of consent to, I believe, was being 13 years old. In other words, you could marry a 13-year-old because they were pedophiles. By the way, the Respect Marriage Act that's right now before the Senate will open the door for, for child marriage as well as plural marriage. It's trying to codify same-sex marriage, but the way it's worded is going to open a Pandora's box. So you got to tell your senators, say, no, I know here in Texas, I'm preaching to the choir, but, but we, we got to get the word out. We got to put pressure on the Senate not to pass that egregious bill. And so, and so we're, there was so much perversion going on. And sure enough, you know, they brought about such a transformation. We go into the Victorian age. Uh, where everyone was conservative and there was morality, uh, chastity before marriage, fidelity afterwards. And so we needed to see that kind of revival come back again, but it took a network, an apostolic network, the Clapman Group, to bring about that transformation. So I believe what's happening in our period is all three are happening at the same time. I believe that church is getting awake. I know that for sure because in California, all these churches that, and my biggest argument is how bad does it have to get before you'll get involved? How bad do you want it to get? I mean, they're shoving transgender ideology to kids who are four or five. They can't even read or write yet. But the first thing they'll say, they won't say good morning, boys and girls. They will use neuter uh, pronouns neutral pronouns, they say, welcome children, and then they will just start hammering their ideology. It's how, how bad do you want it to get in America before you get involved? And so I believe what happened in 9-11 is almost like a prophetic metaphor because we know that three planes crashed into buildings. Two went to the World Trade Center, the North and South Tower. The other one to the Pentagon. But there was a fourth plane that was headed for the White House or the Capitol, no one knows. But people inside the plane took a stand, they knew they were gonna die because they were at the mercy of the terrorists, and they jumped the terrorists, they crashed that plane into the fields of Pennsylvania, and they saved, arguably, our president, George Bush, at that time. And I felt like the Lord said, yes, the 3,000 lives lost, you can't you can make up for that. But we're seeing more die, not just from COVID, I'm talking about suicide, I'm talking about fentanyl, I'm talking about uh, mass shootings, 
in our city. Homicide has gone up 147% in Los Angeles County alone because we defunded the police. We had a billion dollar budget for the police, we reduced it to 500 million. Again, the spirit of stupid was on us to do that. Now you can't even ride a subway. They say, they warn you, there's no police on the subway. There's no one watching, so you could get raped, you could get you know, at nighttime, you could get mugged. There's no police. I lost my passport, and they said, uh, I called the airline, they said, we don't put in the lost found. When it comes to passport, we put it to the nearest police, it's the Los Angeles police. They had no idea the police station was closed down because of defunding the police. And everything has changed in LA since this administration has taken over. It's fueled this, uh, this Marxist, neo-Marxist ideology. And so how bad does it have to get before you will take a stand in your world? I'm not saying that you have to run for governor or senator, but how about your world? How about just speaking out? Justice and righteousness. The foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice and truth and love comes out of his throne. Psalm 89 verse 14. And so we have to speak the truth in love. We have to speak the truth in love. So one of the things that I've been doing is, is hosting these uh, major leaders to come to Pasadena. We had uh, Senator, uh, I mean, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo come. We had recently, last month, a Secretary of Press, uh, uh, Kaylee McEnany come. And uh, we had a fundraiser, to be honest with you. We had a gala uh, because we're raising money for the Super PAC. You know what was so encouraging? We sold every single table. It's $10,000 a table, we sold out. My only regret is we didn't have a larger place with more tables, seriously. Because the church has taken a stand now by giving by voting, by being active. And I wanna encourage you, if you are a believer, you, you a citizen, you need to register and vote. You just say, well, my vote won't make a difference, we're gonna win, all this. No, your vote matters. It's stewarding your citizenship. I had to fight to come here to this country to be a citizen. You were born here. I gotta land this plane. So I feel there's a mantle coming. I, I, I was really riveted by um, Queen Elizabeth when she passed away on September the 8th. And the reason why is because I saw the Queen when I was in London. I didn't meet her personally, but we were at uh, uh, Westminster Chapel and just with some spiritual, I was speaking there and I was with spiritual kids uh, I took with me and uh, we wanted to go and do some sightseeing but they had closed it off and the, the big sign is that uh, the prime minister and the queen, they're gonna have a special service here and so we had to close it off. So I said, well, why don't we just hang around? Who, who knows, we might see the prime minister uh, or, and the queen. And sure enough, her Rolls Royce drives up at that time. She gets out of her car with her hat, beautiful hat on, and she waves at us. And I said, listen, there are people who've been living here all their lives British people have never seen the queen live. We just saw something that we, you know, so it was just really precious. And I also read about her. I know that she gave her life through Billy Graham when Billy Graham came in the 50s. And so she's a believer and you should just listen to her Christmas messages. She shares the gospel. She says that the only hope in this world is Jesus Christ. He is our savior. And he was born and we're celebrating our birth. And so I've always uh, been riveted by her. And, and so when she passed away, I felt like, just like 
You know, for me personally, when Cho died in 2021, that was significant. And um, uh, because he was a friend, Dr. Yonggi Cho, I had the privilege of preaching at his church. I mean, just imagine 60,000, no, I'm sorry, 40,000 in his main sanctuary. Uh, it's like a stadium event. He asked me to do three nights of healing services and the door that opened up was through Peter Wagner. And so here I'm there. And so Cho spoke at our conferences. I was there and I just said, Lord, he just passed away. I pray for that mantle to come upon me. That's what I prayed for. And when Billy Graham passed away in 2018, I prayed the same thing. I said, Lord, Billy Graham was my hero. I'm praying that that evangelistic mantle will come upon the body of Christ. And I claimed that. But when the queen passed away, I just said, it's really interesting. The Bible says we're kings and priests. In Revelation 5.10, you're kings and priests. I like the way it says in 1 Peter 2.9, you are a royal priesthood. Now, my mentor, Peter Wagner, said something that was really very brilliant. He said, the harvest is among the poor, but transformation happens through kings. And not, not talking about geopolitical monarchs. I'm, I'm talking about people of influence. Like Wilberforce was not a king. He was a member of parliament, but he transformed England. He ended the slave trade and ended slavery altogether. But the Bible says you're kings and priests. And I feel you need to receive this mantle of authority, of royalty to come upon you with Queen Elizabeth passing away so you could bring influence to your world. So I want you all stand up with me because I want to pray for that impartation to come. I feel it's very significant. We're on the day of 9-11 today and that a few days earlier, Queen Elizabeth went home to be with Jesus. And here's how I want to pray. I want to pray for us to, forgive me for going along, but I want, to, I want to pray that we consecrate ourselves afresh to Jesus Christ. I was getting this morning, Joshua 3, 5, where Joshua said to the people of Israel before they were ready to go into Jericho, consecrate yourself today, for tomorrow God's going to do wonders among you. So it's consecrate today, and we're going to see signs and wonders, revival, reformation in the days ahead. D.L. Moody, one of my favorite evangelists in church history, you know why I love him so much? He didn't even have a high school degree. Never went to college, never went to Bible college. He was a high school dropout, and yet God raised him up to be the Billy Graham of his time. He had George Whitfield a century before D.L. Moody. But someone came up to him and said, the world has yet to see what God would do through, for, with, and in a man who's totally consecrated to God. And D.L. Moody said, I'll be that man. I have prayed that for 49 years. I love Jesus as much today as I did when I first got saved in 1973. And I make a consecration every day to the Lord. So will you pray this prayer with me? Repeat after me, but make this your prayer. And then we're gonna really pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Just say, Heavenly Father, forgive me for all my sins. I repent. Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender all. All that I am, all that I have, everything is yours. By your grace, I will love you with all my heart. By your grace, I will obey you. By your grace, I will believe in you, trust in you all the days of my life. Fill me with your spirit. 
Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you because we're going to really pray for this mantle to come through your hands, this apostolic governmental mantle, because I feel what God is restoring. We've been so emphasis on the church mountain. All the mountains are important. Education mountain's huge. Family mountain, of course, I'm on that with my wife and our nine grandkids and four adult children. But I believe there's a governmental mantle coming upon you right now that we are to bring transformation just like Wilberforce did through legislation. So Father, I pray that this apostolic anointing will come upon every single man, woman, and even the children here. That you would impart a double portion. And Lord, like Cindy, I've been part of so many different revivals, the Jesus People Movement, the Charismatic Revival, the Third Way with Peter Wagner and John Wimber, the Toronto Brownsville Revival. I pray a double portion to come upon Mercy Culture Church right now. I feel the Lord is saying that we've had our revival, but especially for the young people here, the baton is now being passed to you because I believe out of this church, as well as many other places, the beginning of the third great awakening has begun and you're going to see the greatest revival in the history of the church. So Father, we pray for this revival, reformation, true revival, which includes the church being revived, the harvest coming in, and society being transformed to take place we ask these things in Yeshua HaMashiach's name, in Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Now, one last thing I'm going to do. In the first service, I really mean this. I, I saw this in my spirit when I uh, woke up this morning. I'm going to ask if you feel God's called you to the government mountain. I know we're called to the multiple mountains, but if some, whether it's running for office or supporting someone running for the office, but you know God's called you to the government mountain. I'm going to ask you to come out of your seat and come up to the front because I just want to lay hands on you very quickly. Just come on out of your seat and come up to the front. Let's give a hand for these people who are called to the government mountain. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com. 